Did you know that you could invest in crypto through your retirement account? That's right. iTrust Capital allows you to invest in over two dozen of the most popular cryptocurrencies. And unlike the stock market, you can buy and sell 24 hours a day. With iTrust Capital, you also get the tax benefits of a retirement account while investing in crypto. Set up an account at itrustcapital.com today, and you'll even get a $100 Bitcoin funding reward. Go to itrustcapital.com. Taxes and conditions may apply. Fees apply. Bitcoin funding rewards subject to terms and conditions. Cryptocurrencies are a speculative investment with risk of loss. iTrust Capital Inc. does not provide legal investment or tax advice. Consult with a qualified legal investment or tax professional. The following is a teaching from Glenn Blakeney of Awake Nations. We trust that this message will both challenge and encourage you to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Awake Nations with Glenn Blakeney is taking the gospel of the kingdom around the globe by our audio and video resources, miracle crusades, and conferences. For more information about Awake Nations and Glenn Blakeney, please visit www.awakenations.org or call 813-433-1835. Again, that website address is www.awakenations.org and our phone number is 813-433-1835. Isaiah 45, verse 15 through 19. Truly, you are God who hides yourself, O God of Israel, the Savior. They shall be ashamed and also disgraced, all of them. They shall go in confusion together, who are makers of idols. But Israel shall be saved by the Lord. With an everlasting salvation, you shall not be ashamed or disgraced forever and ever. Did you hear that? For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. I did not say to the seed of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right hallelujah father thank you oh lord for your powerful word and we thank you lord that you're here among us tonight and lord in the name of jesus we praise you for what you're going to do and holy spirit i ask you to manifest the life of christ in this place tonight spirit of the living god manifest the life of christ in this place tonight Lord, have your way. Do a mighty work among us. Set captives free, Lord. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Deliver the oppressed. Save those who are in need of salvation, Father. But manifest your life, Lord. Encourage your people. Strengthen your people, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want to speak to you tonight about the God who hides himself. The God who hides himself. Now that may sound uh, contradictory that God would hide himself. But as we've just read in our text, Isaiah said on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that surely you are a God who hides yourself. And I remember not too long ago I was ministering somewhere and I had finished preaching the word and we invited people come forward to receive prayer and 
and ministry and healing. And I overheard a woman who didn't speak English very well. And in her broken English, she, she said something to this effect. She said, God, why is it that you never talk to me anymore? Others say that you speak to them, you talk to other people. And I pray to you every day. And you have not revealed yourself to me for such a long time. Lord, things used to be so different. You were so near to me, but you were so close to me. But now it seems that you've left me, that you've forsaken me. And you know, beloved, I believe if we were to really be honest, that all of us would say that there have been seasons and occasions in our life where it seems that God has forsaken us. That God is not near to us, at least in the sense that He's not as close to us as we once experienced Him. And I believe, beloved, that that is not something that is uncommon for Christians. It's not something that is unique to just certain people. I believe it is something that all of us at one time or another will experience in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Even Jeremiah the prophet, who was so close to God, who heard his word so clearly, went through a time where it seemed that the heavens were brass. In Lamentations chapter 3, Jeremiah said to the Lord, You have hedged me in so that I cannot get out. You have made my chain heavy. Even when I cry and shout, you shut out my prayer. You have covered yourself with a cloud that prayer should not pass through. Did you hear that? He said, God, you've covered yourself with the cloud. And it seems that the heavens are brass. And every time I, I offer up a prayer to you, it just seems that my prayers are, are just bouncing off the brassy heavens. And I believe, as I said, that's something that we all experience at one time or another. And please understand, though, that we are to walk by faith and not by sight. And that does not mean, however, that it is God's will that we feel estranged through Him, that we do not experience His presence. I believe the Lord wants us to experience His presence and to know Him intimately, to have a sense and a confidence that He is with us and that we feel His glory in us. Oh, hallelujah. I feel His glory in me. And I want to know that glory in an ever-increasing fashion. And so we need to remind ourselves, though, that when this sense of His presence dissipates and wanes from us, that God's Word is still true, and that is that He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You understand that there's a difference between the truth that God is with us and the, and the experience of knowing His manifest presence. There's a difference. God is with us. He said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. In another place, he said, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, though she may forget, as difficult and heartless and cruel as that may be, God says, I will never forget you. I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. And so we ask the question then, if that's true, if God is always imminent, then why is it that 
we feel isolated from His presence at times. Well, I believe the Bible is clear and what we just looked at in our, our text that there is a truth in Scripture that is not often taught in the contemporary church. And that truth is that the Lord is a God who hides Himself. Did you hear me? He is a God who hides Himself. He is a God who hides Himself. And in the New Testament, you remember that Jesus spoke in parables to the people. On one occasion, what happened was some of the disciples came to Him and He said, Jesus, why do you speak in parables? Why don't you just speak plainly and clearly? Why do you use these figures of speech and stories? And Jesus responded, citing that parables actually have two different purposes. He said, first of all, to those who are wholeheartedly seeking after God and with their entire heart want to know the truth, he said, such people through parables will receive a clear and more vivid revelation of Christ. But he says those who are just mere casual inquirers, parables actually serve the purpose of blinding them. Parables actually serve the purpose from shutting out revelation being received by them. Jesus said, because it has been given to you, meaning those who have hearts, that want to know the will of God, those who are seeking the truth with their entire being. He says, it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But then he continues and he says, but to them it has not been given. Jesus was saying that those that have demonstrated a a proclivity for the truth by being obedient to previous revelation will be given even more revelation of the ways of the kingdom. Whereas those that have not welcomed the truth, whereas those who have not obeyed what revelation they have already received, he says they will be given no further revelation. In fact, he says, even what light they possess will be lost. He says, for whoever has, to him will more be given, and he will have abundance. Hallelujah. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Oh, praise be to his name. Please understand that God is not impressed by how much Scripture we know. It's not whether we know the Scripture the Word of God, but it's do we know the God of the Word? The Pharisees had memorized the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah. And yet Jesus said in John's Gospel chapter 5, He said, you diligently study the Scriptures, the very Scriptures that testify about me, but yet you refuse to come to me. I meet people who repeatedly demonstrate the vast knowledge they possess about particular Bible topics. Might be eschatology or theology. But whatever it is, the bottom line is in many instances, 
I find that these people are simply passing on a teaching that a man has given them. They are learned, but not in the school of the Spirit, but in the wisdom of man. Even the Word of God, you can learn it either by the way of the Spirit or by the teachings and doctrines of men. The Pharisees taught the Bible. But Jesus said they made the word of God of none effect by their traditions. Can you imagine? You know, we quote that scripture that says, Oh, God says his word will not return void. And yet Jesus says there are a people that do cause the word of God to be void. They make it of none effect in their lives. Because of tradition. Man-made tradition is what we're talking about. Things that are not of God. And you see, there's actually a verse in the book of Jeremiah. I believe it's in the 23rd chapter where God speaks to the prophets. And God says to the false prophets, he says, Woe to those, he said, who literally take the word of someone else. He says, my word... And they preach it, but they did not receive that word directly from me. But there was another prophet who had a sense of revelation who, and who did receive an impartation and a revelation of the truth of the word because of that heart being inclined towards God. And they received a revelation about a particular topic or truth. And they began to preach that. Then other prophets came along and they just began to, to literally copycat that. But they did not receive the word directly from heaven. That word that they received was not fresh manna. And so, as a result, God says, Woe to those who steal my words from one another. God wants you to have a personal, fresh revelation with Him. He wants you to receive from Him. You know, Smith Wigglesworth would not read the writings of any other man. He would only study the Bible. And I'm not saying it's wrong to read the writings of other men. I do myself. But what I'm saying is that even in this stage... And God has been speaking to me about limiting that. Limiting that and making sure that those that I do read their writings have received revelation from Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we all have the Holy Ghost. If we've been baptized with the Holy Ghost, saved and baptized with the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Spirit in us, He becomes the teacher. He is the resident teacher. And the Bible says He will lead you into all truth. You don't have to be concerned about being deceived if the Holy Spirit dwells in you and if you are submitted to the Holy Spirit. I believe I quoted the scripture yesterday morning that says that a good understanding have all those who obey the truth who obey the Word. I told this story, you heard it, for those of you who are here, 
about the church where I was preaching. And the woman that was, was sitting there and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, she's demonized and tonight I'm going to deliver her. And I said, okay, Lord. And what happened was when I gave the invitation for people to receive ministry, she was the first person to come forward. And I confronted her and I said, you know you have demons? And she said, yes, I'm aware of that. And so I said, the Lord wants to set you free. Because you know what? God doesn't look at those people in a, in a condescending way. God's not freaked out by that stuff. He loves the people that are victimized by that. I say every week I deal with it. At least once a week. And I want you to understand, please, that God loves those people. He wants to set them free. He wants to help them. But please know and understand that such people can be used by the devil. Even unwittingly. Even though they may not even fully understand it. And I told you the story that after we prayed and cast the devils out of her, that what happened was the elders in the church came to me and said, they were, they were freaked right out. I mean, they were wigged out. And they said, they said, Glenn, we want to tell you something. That woman, we regarded her as the resident prophetess of her, our church. She prophesied, she told us things that no one would know in the natural, could not discern in the natural. And we would even go to her and say, would you ask God? And would you go to the Lord and receive a word from Him and bring it back to us? And she would come. We know that when Paul and Silas ministered the gospel in Acts 16, that a woman began to follow them around. And the Bible says she was someone who had a spirit of divination. And the scripture says that this woman, who for, literally foretold the future, was a fortune teller, a psychic in today's vernacular. This woman literally would follow them and say, these men are servants of the Most High God, proclaiming to you the way to be saved. There's nothing false about that statement. It's completely true. It was completely true. But the problem was, it wasn't a revelation from Jesus Christ. It was a revelation from the devil. I was preaching somewhere one time out on the streets. We did an outreach in a park in the inner city. And... After we finished our service, we were standing around, and I'm telling you, right in the midst of this park, in this busy city, the glory of God came down. And you could almost see it as a cloud. It was so thick. And yet, just outside of the glory, you could feel the oppression. And I was standing there talking to someone, and, and some people came walking towards me. And they were walking fast and they looked aggressive. And I, I just kind of looked at them. I thought, what is going on here? And they came about 10 feet away from me. And all of a sudden they turned like this and walked away. And I said, what's going on here? I discerned in the spirit that God had just intervened in a situation that potentially could have been dangerous. And I just began to say, thank you, Jesus. And as soon as I was just finished saying, thank you, Jesus, there was a man sitting on a bench not too far away. And that man looked at me and he said, did you see what just happened? 
And I said, yes. And he said, no, did you see it? And I said, no, what, what are you talking about? He said, those people were coming to hurt you. He said, and they got close to you, but there was a wall of angels all around you. And when they went to hurt, touch you, what happened was the angels pushed them away. And I looked at that man and, I, you know, for a second I thought, oh, you must be a Christian. And as I looked at him, he just looked and gave me this hideous laugh. <laughs> and I went, wow, the freaks are out tonight. I'm telling you, the same night, even before that, I got there and all the Christians were afraid because every time they preach in the park, this one guy who's a Satanist would show up. And he'd always threaten them. Oh, I had them, I had them yell in my face and curse while I was preaching the whole night one time. I mean, his nose was against my nose and I was preaching the gospel and I wouldn't stop and he wouldn't stop. And it just so happened the police came walking by and grabbed him. But he was a devil, man, I'm telling you. And he was totally given over. And one night, this was the first time I met him, actually. I remember everybody was saying about how, you know, afraid they were of him. And he always disrupted the services. And they'd always pray that he wouldn't show up. And I just had a sense of holy boldness come over me. I just had a sense that God was saying, come on, you know, let's throw the gloves off here. And I said, Lord, if it's your will, let this man come tonight. And I said to the Christians, I hope he shows up. And what took place was just shortly after that, about 20 minutes later, he walked into the park. And he began to talk for just a couple of minutes about how he was just finished sacrificing animals and He's just trying to, you know, gross everybody out. And I walked up to him and I grabbed him and I said, let me cast the demons out of you right now. And you know what he did? He looked at me and he got terrified and he ran across the park. Because of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Not because of me. But because he sensed the anointing and he couldn't stand the glory, the demons in him couldn't stand the glory of God. Oh, I could tell you many stories. But please understand that there's a place of revelation where God speaks to you. And what I'm trying to say tonight is that revelation is always accompanied by manifestation. When you receive revelation, there will always be a corresponding demonstration of power. But the key is, when you receive it, and obey it. Because the words that Jesus speaks, they're spirit and life. They're powerful. A lot of us hear the word week after week, but there's sometimes in, in churches, there's no anointing. There's ministers that don't minister with an anointing. And can I tell you that it's sin to preach a gospel without an anointing? Can I tell you 
that it's sin to serve in your own strength and not when the power of the Holy Spirit? The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 4 that if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracle of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability that God gives so that in all things, God may be glorified. When you do it in your own strength, when you sing in your own strength, when you teach in your own power, when you minister in any capacity in your own ability, the Bible says that man does not, man receives the glory and the attention and God is robbed. God wants you and my, me to do everything in his anointing and power. And God says, if you want this type of power, if you want this kind of anointing, you must seek him. You must seek him. You see, when he speaks about a God who hides himself, he's talking to those who are seeking after other things, seeking after idols. And you know, our world walks around and they're totally oblivious to the presence of God. They don't see God. They don't sense God because the Bible says that because of the hardening of their heart, they become insensitive. But yet the scripture says in Ephesians 4 that we must be careful because we can become insensitive as well through the hardening of our heart. And we get to the point where we just become professional pulpiteers. But we don't minister life. If the power of God is not released when someone ministers, there's something wrong with that person. If all you are doing is disseminating information and knowledge, and there's no life, if there is not an anointing that's breaking people's lives and touching their hearts, not just their minds, but their hearts, if that's not happening, the minister is not serving in the power of the Spirit. You see, God wants us to know His glory. He wants us to know His power. He wants to give us a revelation and a manifestation of His kingdom. But He says we must be seekers of Him. Deep seekers. Not just casual inquirers. Those that are intense seekers. They are not discouraged by the hidden face of God. In fact, the hidden face of God just spurs them on to seek after Him more diligently. When you said, seek my face, the psalmist cried out. My heart said to you, yes, Lord, I will seek your face. And you see, what motivates such people is they recognize a profound truth. And that profound truth is that God is not hiding from them. He is hiding for them. Consider a custom that we have in many places in the West. We call it, and we do it around Easter, it's called the Easter egg hunt. You know, the Easter egg hunt, or we could even use the game hide and seek. But the fact is, in the Easter egg hunt, we hide eggs for our children to find them. We're not hiding eggs in the sense that they won't find them. We want them to find them. If we didn't want them to find the eggs, we'd hire an excavator 
to dig a 20-foot hole in our backyard. And we'd lower the eggs into a ground in the sealed vault. And we'd erect a razor wire fence. And then we'd laugh sadistically. I dare you to find them eggs, Junior. (laughs) But you see, we want our children to find the eggs. And so we even offer clues to them. Directing them to the place where the eggs are concealed. It might be a trail of candy or, you know, something else. Or perhaps we play hot and cold. But depending on the child's age and capabilities, we make the game very easy or more challenging. And of course, most children are not put off by the search. They love the search. Now, please, I'm not implying that the pursuit of God is all fun and games. I know when it seems that God has removed himself from us. When it seems that the heavens are brass and and we can't find God and we're in a dry wilderness, that can be very painful and even confusing to us. But please understand that the Bible teaches that there is a powerful purpose for God hiding for us. And that purpose is in fact glorious. Psalm 25 verse 2 says, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to search out a matter. Revelation 1 verse 6 says, We are kings and priests. We are kings. And the Bible says, It is the glory of kings to search out a matter. Hallelujah. God is working in us to provoke us, to draw us to a place of going after Him in earnest. I think about the story of Hannah in the Old Testament. Hannah was a woman of God. There's nothing that implies or explicitly states in the story of Hannah that she had sinned or done something that caused her to not be able to bear children. In fact, she came under much reproach because in those days, if you were barren, according to Deuteronomy chapter 28, you were under a curse. But yet there is nothing that seems to imply that she was under a curse. Oh, come on, can we be real tonight? Can we be honest? How many Christians are praying and not seeing their prayers answered. How many Christians have been sick for years and have prayed and asked God to heal them, and yet they're not being healed? They haven't been healed up to this point. You see, there are a lot of people that, you know, even in some churches, they'll just turn around and they'll look at that person and they'll say, there must be sin. But that's not always the case. Yes, go and sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you, Jesus said to the man who was healed. But sin is not always the only reason why it seems that the heavens are brass and our prayers are not answered. Somebody can just give another pat answer. Oh, it's lack of faith. I believe we really don't understand faith. That's another reason. But you see, Hannah was someone who was being mocked even by 
her husband's other wife. And what ended up happening is one day she made a vow to God in brokenness, in bitterness. She thrust herself on the ground. She cried out to God and she said, Lord, if you give me a child, he'll be wholly yours all the days of his life. I'll give him to you. She was saying, God, I'll set apart this boy to your service. She was consecrating him to God. And because of her desperation, she would keep her vow. And the Bible says that God heard her. And once God answered her and gave her a son, she did not retract. But she said, she did not say, hey God, you know, when I offered that prayer, I was really, you know, emotionally unstable. I didn't mean it. I know you totally understand. I think I'll just keep the boy, God, because, you know, you gave him to me after all. No! Hannah followed through. She fulfilled her vow and she said to the Lord, Lord, I give this child to you. And she presented him to, she presented him to, to the priest, to Eli, and he lived in the temple. You know why? What had happened is the Bible says an inheritance gained hastily at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. Another translation says an inheritance obtained early in life is not a blessing in the end. What it's saying is that there's a time when God looks at us and He says, you're not ready. You're not prepared. You don't have the character or the maturity to receive what I want to do. Now, please understand that God is working all things together for good to those who love Him, to those who are called according to His purpose. But usually we stop there. And we say, I know I'm going through difficulties right now, but I know God's going to calm the storm. I know God is, is going to remove these circumstances from my life and all things are going to work together for good. You know, that's not what it says. The very next verse says, For, for those whom God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness or the image of His Son. Do you hear that? He's saying that in your difficulties, in my trials, in all the things that we go through, He's saying that God has a purpose. A purpose to work it out for good. And that ultimate goodness is not that you have your prayers answered in the sense that, you know, you receive a monetary a miracle or monetary or material provision or even that a sickness is removed from you. But he's saying the ultimate purpose in all of this is that you are conformed to the likeness of my son. I am not saying that God doesn't prosper. Oh, he's a God of prosperity and provision. I believe God always wants to heal the sick. But what I'm saying to you is that when we seek God and when it seems that God is not answering us, that God is saying to us, look it, I will answer you, but you are not at the place where you are seeking me earnestly enough and you are not at the place where your character and your faith is developed to the stage 
where I can use you. In fact, God waited for Hannah to come to that place where she became desperate because I believe that if God had answered her earlier, He knew that Hannah would not have been mature enough to fulfill and to walk in the blessing of God. Let me share with you a principle. In John 15, verse 2, Jesus said this. He said, every branch that bears fruit, my Father, what? Prunes it. Please understand, he's not, uh, pruning is a painful process. But he says, my Father prunes those who are bearing fruit. He doesn't prune those who aren't bearing fruits. He prunes only those who are bearing fruits. And he says that they may bear even more fruits. It's God's will that we don't bear just a little bit of fruit or bear fruit just in one season, but that we bear fruit in all seasons and that we bear continually more fruit. You know what? You think about it. I studied about the Palestinian vineyard quite extensively. And here's one of the things that I found out. When a vine bears branches, that branch on a vine, if it's left unpruned, will run into wildwood. And that wildwood, that branch, will often grow 10 feet And the problem with it growing 10 feet is that it can't bear fruit. And so what happens is the vineyard keeper, the vine dresser, he comes along and he takes his his pruning shears and he clips that branch down. He prunes it down to literally about an inch in length. Because he knows only when all the excess is cut off that, we be, that the branch is capable of bearing fruit. Please listen, we're like that as human beings. I have seen it in my own life so many times and it scares me. It scares me. I've been used by God, praise be to his name, in his grace and mercy. And yet, right after that, I mean a mighty outpouring of the Spirit. A miracle where the blind maybe have seen or or the crippled have walked and something like that. And right after that, I run into Wildwood. Right after that, I do something carnal and I stop bearing fruit. Oh, you've got to watch yourself at all times. I've got to watch myself at all times. And I believe that God is saying, look it, I have to prune you always. I have to continually prune you because I want you to bear much fruit and thank God for His pruning knife. Thank God when He comes along and He says, I'm going to cut that off. When God says, do you see that? And I say, yes, Lord, it's ugly. And He says, let me cut it off. It's wild wood. It won't bear fruit. And God begins to prune us. And please understand the reason why is God says, more fruit. I want more fruit. I'm telling you tonight, 
that God wants to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all you could ask or think according to the power that works in you. There are some of you who haven't even come close to point zero 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 one percent of what God wants to do in your life. And some of you have been content with it. But there's so much more He wants to do in you and through you. But He's going to have to cut off everything that will hinder the growth of fruits. And you're going to have to let them. Understand that the vine dresser is never closer to the branch but when he's pruning it. It's an act of love. It's the pruning knife of God's love. Because First of all, He loves you. And He doesn't want to see you dormant. Secondly, He wants to see you free. He wants to see you bearing much fruit. The peace, the joy, the righteousness of the Holy Ghost. He wants you to bear that. And then thirdly, that world, our world needs to see the fruit. They need to see the fruit. And I'm telling you, when the world sees the fruit, which is, do you know what the fruit is? Fruit is merely this in the natural. Fruit in the natural is a manifestation of the life that is in the branch of the vine. That's all it is. And so fruit, which is the fruit of the Spirit in us, is simply a manifestation of the life of Christ in us. You don't have to be bound by a spirit of death. And I'm not just talking physically. Not just talking about cancer and things like that. I'm talking about spiritually. God wants you to bear much fruit. And it brings glory to His Father. Jesus said, when we bear much fruit. We were ministering in a place called Brazil, Indiana. And a woman came forward for prayer. And she was full of cancer. They had run the tests. She had been to the Mayo Clinic. And what happened was the Lord spoke and the Lord said, you will not die. You'll live. You'll proclaim his wonderful works. And so we ministered to her and we rebuked the cancer in the name of Jesus and told it to go, cursed it, and ministered the wholeness of Jesus, the life of Jesus. That woman was completely healed. That cancer left that woman. A few weeks later, she was retested. She, she turned, I mean, her recovery was almost instantaneous. She began to get stronger. And then when she finally went for the test, what happened was they checked her out and they said that the cancer is completely gone. They, like, a year later, they gave her a clean bill of health. And do you know what happened? The, the story of this woman being healed literally was published 
on the front page of the newspaper in that local town. And the sheriff and the mayor got saved. They showed up at the church and got saved. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, God wants to do these things today. God wants to show people His glory. He wants people to see a powerful sign of His power, His glory, and His grace. He wants to reveal Himself. But it's not going to come easily. Not everyone is willing to pay the price. In fact, few are even in the church. You see, I use this illustration many times. But the Bible says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. The person who completely trusts in God. In fact, the verses preceding says, but cursed is the man who trusts in the arm of flesh. Cursed is the man who trusts in himself, in his own abilities, in his own rationale, in his own resources, in his own power. Cursed. That's a strong word, beloved. But blessed is a man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. The word hope in Hebrew there means refuge. And he says, for he shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spreads out its roots by the river. And that tree will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green. That tree will not be anxious in the year of drought. Listen to this. Nor will it cease bearing fruit. Hallelujah. Why is it that he compares us to trees planted by the river? Beloved, you are not a tree planted in the wilderness. You are not a tree planted in the desert. You may think, I'm in a desert. Where is God? But you are not in the desert. You are a tree planted by a river. And the only thing is, that taproot has not yet gone in search of the water. A dry time may come. A season of drought may appear, but a tree planted by the water extends its roots even deeper and further in search of sustenance and nourishment. And he said, that's what the Christian is like. That's what the true child of God is like. That's why I am hiding for you. Because I want you to go deeper. Because if I just left you the way you were, you wouldn't go deeper. You would not extend your roots. You would sit there and be comfortable and complacent. So please understand that God is not hiding from you. He's hiding for you. 